were together, we said that every person has influence that should be leveraged for the kingdom of God. And today, as we look at Nehemiah beginning a 12-year journey to his homeland, to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem, we see him taking his influence with him to Jerusalem to help lead the people of God in beginning the good work of rebuilding what years of sin and rebellion had broken down. And as we look there, I want you to be turning in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll begin uh, in verse 9, but we're going to read together verse 16. So put your finger there in chapter 2, and in, in just a moment we'll stand and read. But I want us to see this biblical truth first. God uses ordinary people working together to accomplish extraordinary things. And, and that goes for you and whatever God has called you to do in your individual life. But that also goes for the church, for the kingdom of God, that God uses ordinary people, you and me, to accomplish extraordinary things. And I'm so excited that he has chosen to use you and that he has chosen to use me to bring about his kingdom purpose in the world around us. God has appointed us at this time and at this place to make a difference for him and for his kingdom. Won't you stand with me and begin reading in verse 16 with me this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God, that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today. Lord, let us look to the example of Nehemiah, a kingdom leader, one who wielded kingdom influence and who was used to do extraordinary things. Lord, let us live as he lived, in total dedication to your work in our lives. Father, that we may build your kingdom here in this place, Lord, that many souls may be brought to glory. More and more people will come to know you as Lord and Savior, and the name and fame of Jesus would grow and spread throughout this land. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Nehemiah entered into a state of derision and confusion whenever he entered into Jerusalem. And he arrived in that place and he spent a few days there and then God mustered him up to go and inspect the wall to see what he could see. And then as a leader, Nehemiah began to rally the people of God and bring them together and to strengthen their hands for the good work of rebuilding that wall. 
He was a kingdom leader. I wonder about you and me today. Are we truly kingdom leaders? We hear a lot about servant leadership, but here's the thing. We can be servant leaders and not be kingdom builders. But what God wants us to be is kingdom leaders, kingdom builders, people who work together to see that the rule and the reign and the majesty of Jesus Christ is manifest in our presence here in this place. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for your home? Don't you want to be a kingdom leader in your home where you lead the people and your family to worship and love Jesus? With all their hearts, don't you want to be a kingdom leader in your places of business where you you work out your salvation in those places of business and people can see Jesus in you as you go about in the marketplace and in the highways and byways around us? Don't you want to be a kingdom leader, someone with kingdom influence over the people around you? I want you to look to Nehemiah's example this morning. How does he help us? In setting this example, as a kingdom leader, you must do these things. Now, look at what first he did. First, as a kingdom leader, you've got to capture the vision, catch the vision. Look at what it says in verse nine. Nehemiah said, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly. Now listen to the next part. What displeased them? That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now that's why Nehemiah came. You remember Nehemiah went to his knees and wept and, and mourned for months because he was so appalled by what he heard, the report of what was happening in Jerusalem, that the walls were still torn down and the gates were burned with fire. And Nehemiah came with the full weight and the authority of the Persian government. But what was more important was that he had been divinely appointed as a kingdom leader to carry out God's kingdom purpose in Jerusalem. Nehemiah came seeking the welfare of that city. And there were those who were opposed to the work. And we're going to see this opposition begin to grow. And it's going to continue to grow on into chapters 3, 4, and 5. We're going to see that the opposition is something that must be dealt with. But here, let's just stop here for a moment and say this. That any time God puts a longing in your heart for His kingdom purpose to be realized around you. If you say, I want to be a kingdom leader, you are going to have opposition. The enemy will immediately oppose you. The kingdom of God is in constant conflict with the kingdom of Satan. I remember whenever I came down the hallway early in the morning and I told my dad of what had happened that night previous, that the Lord had called me and I had gotten out of my bed, got on my knees, and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I remember that night very well, but I remember the morning as well. I came to my dad and I told my dad what had happened. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, it's the best decision you've ever made, but now you have an enemy. When you were the old Josh... You were on the enemy's side, but now that you're on Jesus' side, 
You have a sworn enemy. And he'll be against you the rest of your life. And so, Nehemiah encountered that early on. But look at what he does in verse 11. Does it stop him? No. Nehemiah says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days, and I arose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one who, on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And so Nehemiah is circling the wall that has been broken down. And, and Nehemiah says that his God had put it in his heart to rebuild the wall. It was a vision from God that he had received from God in prayer. And so Nehemiah went and took sober estimation of the work that needed to be accomplished. Listen, you're never going to have a vision from the Lord and you're never going to be a kingdom leader until you'll take sober estimation of the situation around you. Until you'll look with kingdom eyes that are open and you'll ask for the Lord to give you a vision. You'll ask for Him to put it in your heart what it is that He wants you to accomplish. And He's calling you right now to say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do for you? That's what a servant does, right? You call yourself a servant of Jesus? When was the last time you stopped and said, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Nehemiah took the time to do that. And God began to open up his eyes to the wall and to see the breaches in the wall and how the the wall needed to be repaired. You know, I did a little bit of research. The wall around the ancient city of Jerusalem was about two and a half miles long, two and a half miles worth of wall. Okay, but it wasn't just any wall. It was an enormous wall over 40 feet tall in some places. The average height was 40 feet. It was the average thickness was eight feet wide at the top. Okay, it had 34 watchtowers and eight gates leading in and out of the city. This was an enormous wall and this was an enormous task that Nehemiah was called to take up. But you've got to know the importance of it. Why do we need walls? Why are they important? You remember Trump's uh, campaign? Build the wall. Why do we need walls? Someone said, well, there was a wall around Jerusalem. Amen. There's a wall, There's a wall in heaven too, right? The Bible talks about a wall in heaven. So we need walls on our borders, don't we? I'm not getting political here, but I want to talk about what walls can do. Walls separate. We think about it. The the wall was that line that, that was drawn that says, this is God's city. This is the city of Jerusalem. And this is where that city begins and ends. And the wall says, not only is this where Jerusalem ends, but this is where the world begins. And when we think about the wall that we need to have in our lives, it's not a physical wall that we need to build, even though those are important. You want walls on your house, in your house, right? Our neighbor, 
they had a termite infestation and they had to tear down the entire back wall of their house to get rid of the termites because they need that back wall, right? Walls separate the inside from the outside and for you, for you and me spiritually, the walls that we need in our lives are boundaries, moral boundaries, spiritual boundaries against sin and against evil and against wickedness, against immorality in our lives that we need to maintain and we need to have that integrity. So walls separate, but walls strengthen as well. Walls support one another. If you think about the walls of these building, this building, no one wall could stand by itself. They need each other. And when they all come together, these walls make a very strong and fortified building that can withstand a hurricane. It's already proven that it can. Walls strengthen, walls safeguard. And so that which is inside the wall, because the wall is strong and on the outside the wall is fortified against the oncoming enemy, the walls safeguard the people within. And the people of Israel needed the wall so that they could be safeguarded. And then lastly, walls support. Guess what you can put on top of a wall? A roof. Are many of you glad that we got a roof over our heads this morning? We're not wet. <laughs> you must know the importance of the wall. Not just a physical wall, but a spiritual wall. The enemy is looking for any breach he can find in your wall. He wants to find that spot where you've left the door open, where you've left a window cracked, anywhere where you are vulnerable, and you are absolutely vulnerable if you've never put up a wall. The wall represents your spiritual defense against sin and against evil. And I want to tell you this. You will never grow spiritually whenever you have compromised your morality. You just you won't grow. If there's a breach in that wall, you'll never grow. And so Nehemiah captures the vision from the Lord. He knows that the wall is important and he's decided that he's going to strengthen his hands for the task and then he's going to lead others to do the same. He's caught the vision and secondly, he begins to cast the vision. And so look at me, look with me again uh, in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So Jerusalem, the city of God, the place that represented the presence of God, the temple had been rebuilt and the people had inhabited the land, but they were absolutely vulnerable to attack. There was nothing that defined the city and said that this is the city of Jerusalem. This is the holy city. The boundary wasn't there anymore. And Nehemiah points the people to take a look. He knew that the project was too big for himself or even the men that he had with him. He planned to tell the officials and the Jews and the priests and the nobles. And and the Bible says the rest who were to do the work, he planned to tell them to get up and look. You see the trouble, he said. He invited them to literally open their eyes and take a look and see the problem that was before them. They had been living there for decades, living across the street from walls that were broken down, from piles of rubble all around them. 
and none of them have gotten up to do a thing about it. It took one man to say, this is what God wants us to do. I wonder if you could be that one man or that one woman that would stand up and say, hey, guys, we've got to do something about this. What if you could be that person? I mean, what, what would it be like if we strengthened one another to, to be about the task? What if, if today in our homes and in our families and in this church and in this community, we could begin to see the fulfillment of Second Chronicles 7.14? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And heal their land. What if that started with you. Or me. He says you see the trouble. I invite you to open up your eyes. And look around you. Look at America. For just a moment. Walls of morality compromised. We live in an age where the Bible is more proliferant than ever and its, it, its access is increasingly available. But we live in an ever-increasing, illiterate, biblically illiterate society. More people today know less about the Bible than ever in the history of America. Divorce is rampant. Unweighed pregnancies. Violent crime deviant behavior, moral decay, all of these things. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I'll try to say that right. I almost didn't get it Wednesday night. I had to have help from Miss Ellen. You remember who he was. I mean, he spoke out against uh, the Soviet Union and Soviet Russia. He said, men have forgotten God. But listen to what he said. I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I have read hundreds of books, collecting hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. You believe that? You believe that that's the problem for America today? You believe that when you walk up and down Lillian Highway? Maybe you don't walk, maybe you drive. I walk sometimes out there on the grounds. We believe that when you see our communities around us falling apart, you believe that the problem is that we've forgotten God? You believe it? Then what you're saying is, you're the answer. Because you know God. Amen? Remind them. Tell them who they are. Tell them that they've been created by God in His image. Tell them that He loves them and that the answer is that if they put their faith in the God who loved them enough to die on the cross that they could be saved and set free from a life of sin and shame that ends in disaster. I wonder, 
Could we be the answer that God has for America? We are. When will the moral decline of America begin to affect you enough? Notice what Nehemiah says at the end of verse 17. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. He tells them, look, we've got to do this, that we may no longer suffer derision. I want to tell you there are some things that cannot be accomplished until God's people come together to do it. You see, here's the thing. You, you alone will never be able to affect the world around you all by yourself. We said, what if it was started with you? That's great. I hope it does start with you. But it doesn't just need to start with you. It needs to start with you. And it needs to start with you. And it needs to start with you. And we need to come together for this purpose. We got to cast that vision that God has given us. We got to say to one another, hey, come beside me. Let's do the work together. Rally support. Call others to your side. Pray for one another. Strengthen your brothers. Remember what the Lord said uh, to Peter? He said Satan had chosen, to, chosen him to sift him like wheat. He asked permission to do that. But then the Lord said to Peter, he said, when you have turned. I think I have that passage, Miss Sue. When you have turned. Again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. And so this is the third thing that he does. He carries out the vision. So he catches the vision. Then he casts the vision. And then he carries out the vision. I wonder if we could unify for the work. The people of God unified for the work. The, the leaders unified. Nehemiah himself, we see him working. If we look through chapter 3, which in some estimation might be an unremarkable chapter, and we're just kind of kind of do an overview for a second, this basically uh, enumerates all the people that worked on the wall to rebuild the wall and how they all came together and how they all did their part, how no one was really left out except for a few of the snooty nobles that decided that they would not lift their hands to the task. But look at all of the people. There were craftsmen. There were goldsmiths. There were perfumers. People that made perfume. There were priests. There were even daughters. Look at what it says in verse 12. Next to him, Shalumim, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. There were even daughters that, that got up and did the work too. Everybody was, I can imagine just seeing children picking up stones and placing them. Everybody was working together. You know, the church is better when we work together. We're so much better when we work together. And then you see over and over in chapter 3, the same kind of words uh, that are repeated, that that, that they repaired and, and that they built and that... Uh, they placed the beams and the bars of the gates. They repaired, they laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Everyone is repairing, everyone is working, everyone is doing their job. And notice, they're actually repairing those places that are closest to their homes. 
The taking personal responsibility for the rebuilding of the wall. I wonder if you would say like Joshua, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. And you'll put those walls up around you and you'll say, this is the Lord's territory right here. This home, this place, my life, my family, my household. This belongs to the Lord. And you'll do the dirty work of getting rid of the breaches in the wall. I wonder if you could do that and start that work today. Here's how it happens. First, like Nehemiah, you've got to examine your wall. You've got to take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves. Take a look at yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed fail to meet the test. You cannot grow spiritually whenever you've compromised your moral wall. Some breaches you may need to look out for. I'm just going to name a couple of these. And this isn't comprehensive. This is just a few ideas. You just think about this for a minute. Unfiltered internet access in your home. That's a breach in your wall. Unrestricted television content. A long time with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. A long time uh, just not being accountable with your phone or with your wallet. No accountability with how you spend your money. No accountability with your alcohol consumption. We all need accountability. I thought of another one maybe for some of the young people, maybe some of the older people, I don't know. Uh, Violent video games, that's a breach in your wall. You know, whenever they they trace those serial killers and, and mass murderers, one common theme throughout all of those people is that they played those violent video games and they consumed pornography. Inspect your walls. Find those holes in your walls. Do the work of asking God to search you and try you and say, Lord, see if there's any wicked way within me and lead me in the way of righteousness. See if there's any area that you've left open for attack. I want to tell you this. There's not a single moment in your life that you can let your guard down as a Christian. You don't get to let your guard down. Remember, we have that sworn enemy. He's just outside the gate. He's seeking someone to devour. The moment you give him a foothold, he'll take the whole thing. He'll be like your your uncle living on your couch in your living room, eating up all your Cheetos. Where are you weak? Examine yourself. And then, not only examine your wall, accept your call. God has called you. He's told you. He said, this is what we need to do. This is what I want to do through you. Rise up and take your place. You will great influence. Use it for the kingdom of God and rebuild the wall that is around you. And then lastly, invest your all. I want to show you one more little line here. 
Verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem, and the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Notice the enemy, the first, one of the first tactics that he does, he, he tries to cut them down, but then he throws lies and insults their way. And that's what the devil's going to begin to do with you. He's going to tell you what you're doing is not a good thing. You're wasting your time. There's going to be speed bumps immediately just as soon as you decide you're going to be a kingdom leader and you're going to use the influence he's given you for his kingdom. The, the devil's going to attack you and try to discourage you right then and there. But listen to what Nehemiah replies. The God of heaven will make us prosper. In other words... We're not doing this on our own. We're doing this with the help of the Lord. And He's going to prosper us. And we, His servants, will arise and will build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And so you see Sanballat and you see um, the other guy. Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. They're opposing Nehemiah and the work the entire time, the entire way. And what Nehemiah says is, we're going to get the kingdom benefit from this. We're going to prosper. And God's going to bless us. And God's going to use us. So in other words, it's worth our time. It's worth our energy. It's worth our effort. It's worth every ounce of energy that we can expend for the kingdom of God because there are kingdom blessings that we will receive. But if you won't put your hands to the task, you have no portion in it. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There's some good work that God has called you to do, building His kingdom right where you are. And you know He's called you to do it. And some of you have even put your hands to the task. You've attempted to lay a, a brick or a stone and said, this is what God wants us to do. I want to tell you, if you don't first bring your confession to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't do this on my own. If you don't start there, humbling yourself before God, whatever work you've, you've tried to accomplish will ultimately fail. So you start in that place and you say, God, I confess my sin. I, I tell you, I, I, I am a sinner and I need you. And if, if you've never made that confession to God and you've never said to God, God, I, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need Jesus to save me. And He's inviting you to do that today. He's inviting you to switch sides. To go from the side of the enemy to the side of the King of kings and Lord of lords. To be saved from a life of sin that ends in death. If you want that today, if, you, if you've decided in your heart you want to trust Jesus. Then let me lead you in this prayer. Say, Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, and I failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. 
to be separated from you, to be on the outside rather than on the inside. But Jesus, I believe that you made a way for me to pass from death to life and to be saved from my sin. And so today I ask you, Lord, to save me, a sinner. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. And if you pray that with all your heart, say this. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up with me for just a second. Maybe, maybe you've prayed that prayer before and you're a Christian and, and you've been saved, you've been baptized. That's many of you in this place. But your wall has got some gaping holes in it. And you know right where they are. And the Lord is saying to you, look and see the situation. Look at this condition that you're in. It's time for you to repair those holes. Jesus said it would be better for you to enter into the kingdom without a hand or an eye than allow those things to cause you to be thrown into hell. Whatever it is, whatever the hole is in your life, ask the Lord to repair it. Now I want you to stand. We're going to have our invitation. This is, our, this is the moment where you say yes to Jesus. If you've just asked Jesus into your heart, you prayed that prayer with me, we want to know what the Lord has done for you. It's time for you to tell others what Jesus has done for you. If you need prayer and you want to just spend some time with the Lord in prayer, whether here at the altar with one of our altar counselors or there in your pew, this is your opportunity to do that. And if you're looking for a church home, a place to love and serve Jesus along with the the saints, this is your place. This is your opportunity to come. We'll welcome you here into Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as part of the family of faith. So you come, however the Lord leads you, you come. Let's sing together. Come as you are.